The other day I was thinking about the movie Wizard of Oz. And if you remember at the beginning of the movie, Dorothy and her little dog Toto are walking home when all of a sudden a tornado comes down, sucks her up, and when she wakes up, she finds that she's not in Kansas anymore. That the place that she finds herself in is a place called Oz. And this place that she finds herself in has scarecrows, lions, and tin men that talk, monkeys that fly, munchkins, and wicked witches that are out to destroy her. And now I want you to imagine that you have fallen asleep and five years later you wake up to realize that where you are at looks more like Oz than it does America. That our once Norman Rockwell scene has turned into an American Oz that has become really strange and evil. And it's going to take more than just three clicks of the heel to get us out of this Oz. It's going to take some laser-focused attention to return to the principles that God's given us. Back to the principles that our founding fathers embraced. Well, welcome to another episode of Way Life. In this episode, I will continue discussing the American soul with part three. If you haven't listened to the first two parts, let me encourage you to go back and listen and catch up. In part one, I explained what the American soul is, and in these last three episodes, I discuss how to restore the American soul. And I've divided these last three episodes into three categories. Make your bed first, know your stuff, and the last episode, engage throttle. So let's get started with know your stuff. You know, I've always been fascinated with the story of Daniel in the Bible. The story of him in the lion's den, his friends in the fiery furnace, even in studying end-time events, Daniel's prophecies are always exciting to read. And when we first hear of Daniel, Jerusalem has been taken siege by the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar had ordered some of the more educated boys to come and live in Babylon so that they could be assimilated into the Babylonian culture and serve the king. Upon leaving Jerusalem and starting on that long walk to Babylon, I believe that Daniel's parents must have been very grieved when, they, when Daniel was taken away from them. They must have been asking themselves, how is he going to survive in such a wicked place? Was the training that we gave him enough? Did we teach him proper godly morals? Will he remember his godly heritage? I mean, think about it. Daniel is leaving a place known as the city of God where symbols of God were written into the architect and men were seen praying in the streets. He is now being taken to the city of man where demonic spirits are in control. And upon arriving to the city, still far away, he could see a 300-foot temple tower raised up in the middle of the city. And when he entered the city, there were sights he had never seen before. Walking down what was called Procession Avenue, he would have seen animal statues lining the street, such as dragons and bulls. And in the temple, he would have witnessed prostitutes offering themselves as a form of religious ritual. Sexual orgies could be seen out in the open, soothsayers casting bones and sticks to predict the future, astrologers looking to the stars for the meaning of life. Statues of deities could be seen throughout the city. I mean, it would have been a very strange scene to him. And remember that he's going there to be assimilated into, the, into that culture. And scriptures tell us three strategies in which he would be assimilated. Teach him the Chaldean language and literature. Get rid of his Hebrew name and give him a Chaldean name. Expose him to the Babylonian culture and let him taste the king's exotic foods. But Daniel recognized the danger of being enticed to all this pomp and grandeur and I believe he talked with his three, free, his three friends, and he said to them, You know, guys, 
we must purpose in our hearts not to be taken in by this lavish lifestyle. We must be determined in our hearts that we will not compromise our faith. We must remember and never forget who we are and where we came from. We must not forget what we have been taught. And what I'm trying to get at here with the story of Daniel is that he was prepared as a young boy in Jerusalem. He was trained and educated to know and understand the ways of the Lord. He was grounded in the knowledge of Scripture, and he lived in a culture that acknowledged God. And because of that training, he was able to resist the temptation to compromise. In fact, Daniel rose to high prominence and he gained the respect of the king because he did not compromise his faith. You know, we're like Daniel today. We are part of that Daniel company. And we are no longer living in Jerusalem. I'm afraid our Jerusalem is looking more and more like Babylon every day. And there is a tremendous effort going on in this country to assimilate us into a new culture. There is pressure for, for us to comply to a new set of values and a new set of morality. And we need to have more than just our will to resist. We need to have a knowledge of God's Word mixed with wisdom, understanding, and have His anointing to resist this onslaught. And when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, if you remember, the devil tried to entice him, but Jesus did not resist him merely from his own will. He resisted from knowing scripture and using that scripture against the devil. In this climate, where the pressure to comply will increase more and more, the question we should be asking ourselves is, am I prepared? Do I know enough? Do I have a good grasp on scripture to help guide me? Do I understand the times that I'm living in? Can I give a good defense of my faith? And if we are to change the world, we must know our stuff. You know, the Bible says a lot about the need for knowledge. In Hosea 4.6, the scripture says, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you. Isaiah 5.13 says, Therefore my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And Jesus said, If we know the truth... The truth shall set us free in John 8, 32. You know, knowledge is one of the gifts of the Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 8. And Peter talks of those ungodly false teachers that speak of evil things that they do not understand. And then he goes on and says that they will utterly perish in their own corruption, 2 Peter 2, 12. You know, Peter also instructed us to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, 1 Peter 3.15. The Puritans understood this, and when they came to America, they put a huge emphasis on education. John Winthrop, the Puritan leader, brought about 800 people over to America, and he built a colony out of the wilderness in what today is called Boston. They sought to create a godly society, and the way they believed this was accomplished was by, by having educated citizens. In just five years, they established the Latin School, which is the oldest continuous school in America today. The next year, they established the first college in America, Harvard. 
They were the first organized state in history to mandate universal education, enacting the Massachusetts educational laws of 1642 and 1647. The law in 1647 became known as the Satan Deluder Act. Deluder meaning someone who deceives or tricks. They believed that the church had been corrupt for about a thousand years from about 500 to 1500 A.D. By keeping people uneducated, they were able to deceive them and consequently they were able to control them. This all changed when Martin Luther in 1517 nailed his 95 thesis to the doors of the church in which he systematically listed 95 issues that were corrupting the church. And for the next hundred years, a reformation occurred where men began reading the Bible in their native language when before the Bible was only written in Latin and could only be read by trained priests. The Puritans believed that a major reason why the people remained subjugated was the lack of education, especially in the Bible. So they wanted to make sure that, they, that this would never happen in their colony. They wanted to preserve and protect it against false doctrines and charlatans who would come in to divide. This law mandated that every town of 50 or more have an elementary school teacher and that every town of 100 or more have an elementary school. And these schools were to emphasize Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. These schools were to prepare them for college and ultimately for ministry, law, and medicine. And by the time they graduated grammar school, they could read all the classics in their own original language. They believed that this was the only way to preserve their society. The next generation did not just accept what their elders were telling them. They could read it for themselves and find the truth. Puritans' fear has come upon us. We are producing generations who know no longer know Scripture. And their lack of knowledge of the Bible, history, classics, and current events is bringing America in fast decline. There is a lot of knowledge when it comes to pop culture, though. I mean, ask trivia questions about the Mandalorian or the Kardashians, and excitement fills the room. Ask about the details of their favorite video game, and you have just started a six-hour conversation. But try and talk about the Bible, religion, history, or politics, and the room gets awkwardly quiet. And the point that I'm trying to get at here is that we are losing the American soul because of a lack of knowledge in those areas that will preserve our nation's heritage. When the major population relies upon social media for their news, a sermon on Sundays for their Bible knowledge, Hollywood for their moral compass, and the university professors for a very biased, so-called honest education, America will be destroyed because of the lack of knowledge. We cannot leave this up to our leaders. Most congressmen don't know the Constitution, American history, or the Bible. So why are we relying upon them for direction? The church must lead the way in educating Christians to become confident leaders. And if we are going to lead the way, what are the things that you think that we need to know? Well, the first thing I think that we need to know is our Bibles. There are more Bibles today than at any other time in history. Over 5 billion copies have been sold. But yet there is more biblical illiteracy than at any other time since before the Reformation. In a Pew Research poll of 3,412 people and consisting of 32 questions, atheists and agnostics were found to be more biblically literate than Christians. 
I mean, that blows my mind to think that the people who don't believe know more than the people who do believe. It has also showed that only 63% of Americans know that Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And only 46% of evangelical Christians knew that Genesis was the first book of the Bible. I mean, it's no wonder that only 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. How different this was at America's birth. Biblical literacy was extremely high. Daniel Dreisbach, who is an expert in constitutional law and American legal culture, he said that the And I quote, the Bible was the most accessible, familiar, and authoritative text in the 17th and 18th century, end quote. He explains that the Americans had what he calls biblical language. In common conversation, the Bible was a reference. Whether you were talking about the weather, agriculture, politics, or whatever, you could take some obscure passage in the Bible and use it in conversation, and the other person would be familiar with it and understand your reference. And you might be surprised that Benjamin Franklin, who was considered the least religious of all the founding fathers, knew his Bible in this way. I mean, read his letters, listen to his speeches, and he includes Bible references throughout them. Benjamin Franklin said once that when he went to Europe, he had to explain his biblical references, but in America, he did not. The Americans were exceptional in this biblical language. You can see this carried over into the Founding Fathers' political writings. Political scientist Donald S. Lutz reported that the Bible was cited more frequently than any other European writer. When analyzing the documents of American founders, it was found that the most quoted book found by far was the Bible. We need to return to the Bible. And I think that leaders should not just encourage their congregants to know the Bible. Leaders should expect it and develop a strategy of learning. And I think that strategy should include apologetics, which is a word that comes from a Greek word meaning defend the faith. And theology, a study of God, which goes deeper than just knowing devotional scriptures. If we're going to know our Bible, we are we are better able to give answers to cultural issues that arise. If we know our Bible, we can answer those questions because the Bible addresses every issue in life. So that brings me to the second thing we need to know, culture. We need understanding of the times we live in. First Chronicles 12.32 says, The sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. This chapter in 1 Chronicle lists all the tribes and what they contributed to the nation of Israel. And most of these list large amounts of men and weapons that they could contribute. But then we come to the sons of Issachar, and they stand out from the other men and tribes. The Bible says that they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They had a keen understanding of the political and the cultural climate of their day. And they not only had knowledge of the facts, but they could wisely interpret the information. Oh, how desperate I think we are today for men to have such wisdom. Our schools and our universities are filled with highly educated professors, but they have zero wisdom. Knowledge without wisdom is only information. And we are facing a crisis of tremendous proportions, and we need wisdom to help us understand the times that we live in. Look at all the major issues facing America today. We have critical race theory that teaches that everything is about race and America is evil. 
We have a revision of American history that is being taught in an effort to delegitimize our Constitution. We have organizations like Black Lives Matter movement, an organization that's not about oppression, but about dismantling the nucleus family, hating America, and promoting socialism. Organizations like Antifa, which is the left's terrorist group that stirs up and induces riots. Then there's the uh, abortion of innocent babies. There are campaigns to defund and dismantle police departments. We have a new atheism movement that is working to suppress and destroy the Christian influence in America. We have socialism and communism that's being held up as a replacement to capitalism and freedom. There's a rise in Islam and with that a rise of anti-Semitism. We have a border crisis at our southern border that is allowing illegal immigrants in without assimilating them into our culture. Diversity and inclusion are being taught in our schools and businesses that value the collective instead of the individual. There is more and more legalizing of the LGBTQ agenda. There is a constant disinformation campaign suppressing Christian and conservative values. Election integrity has lost the confidence of the American people. Then there are, then there is the COVID crisis. This COVID virus is being used as a political weapon to further divide us with a don't let a crisis go to waste strategy. America's never been here before. America has never seen such influential ideologies that hate its foundation and principles and have seen an active movement to destroy those principles. We're committing cultural suicide. And before we can make practical change, we've got to understand the times that we live in and then be able to apply Christian ethics to events as they unfold and give biblical responses to them. We are so quick to respond from our emotions instead of slowly uh, dissecting them, slowing down and asking ourselves, what is the biblical response to these events? How should I react? Do I have enough information to determine a response? What is my Christian duty? And most importantly, how do I respond in such a way that gives glory to God? How do I respond when my local school is teaching my kids that all white people are racist and that our country is evil? How do I ethically and biblically respond? What if the government says the church must be shut down until further notice during a pandemic because churches are deemed non-essential. How do I respond to a controversial video of a black man having a white police officer put his knee on the back of the black man's neck and the black man dies? How do I respond to these companies like Facebook, Netflix, Walmart, YouTube, Google, Starbucks, PayPal, and hundreds of others that are using my money to further a socialist agenda and they seek to suppress and destroy traditional American Christian values. Vaccinate or not vaccinate. Mask or not mask. I mean, these are questions that need to be answered. There are not always easy answers to these questions, but we must seek to answer them. Or those that want to destroy us will be all too happy to do so. Okay, so I've covered so far the need to have biblical literacy and the need to understand our culture. 
I want to cover one more area. And that's the need to know our Christian heritage. You see, Scripture puts a strong emphasis on the need to know what those principles are and where they came from. Let's look at a couple of scriptures here. Deuteronomy 32.7 says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. And Judges 2.10 says, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That sounds like us. You know, the Lord instructed the Israelites to build a memorial in the middle of the Jordan River to remind the following generations of the events surrounding the exodus from Egypt because he was afraid that they would forget all the great things that God had done. Author Schleslinger Jr., he's a social historian who was the Pulitzer Prize winner historian on John F. Kennedy's staff. He said that, quote, History is to the nation what memory is to the individual, end quote. See, one of the worst diseases in the world is Alzheimer's. It's a disease that affects your mind. It takes your memory and you forget who you are. You lose your identity. I mean, even with cancer, as horrible as a death that it is, you are able to say goodbye to your loved ones and bring some type of closure. But when you lose your memory... You've lost yourself. You don't know your family or the people that love you anymore. You have lost your purpose in life. You believe, I believe that we have national Alzheimer's. We are the freest nation in the history of the world. But yet we have forgotten who we are and how we got here. We've lost our purpose. And this lack of knowledge is leading us to destruction. You know... This past Sunday in our kids' ministry, there was a 10-year-old boy who was holding a $5 bill. I asked him if he knew whose picture was on the front of the bill. He looked at it, and he finally said, I don't know. I told him it was Abraham Lincoln, and he continued to give me a blank stare. He said he didn't know who that was. I then thought to myself, Surely he knows who George Washington is. And of course, when I asked him, he didn't know George Washington either. You see, if a generation grows up not even knowing who the two most influential men in American history are, we're in deep trouble. If we are to reclaim our Christian heritage and rebuild those virtuous institutions, we must know where we came from. George Mason, who's the framer of the Constitution, he said this, quote, No free government nor the blessings of liberty can be preserved to any people, but by a frequent reoccurrence to fundamental principles, end quote. You see, he understood that if we did not frequently review those principles that brought us liberty, we would no longer keep our freedom. There is an intentional effort to attack those principles and the founders who wrote them. They want a new America with a new set of values. If they can paint our founders as racist white men who only went to war to expand their plantations, they will have the moral authority to delegitimize our Constitution, tear it down, and start over with a new socialist one. 
You know, we used to entrust our schools to teach these traditional American principles, but we can no longer trust them to do so anymore. So the church must take up the flag and teach our Christian heritage, or we will raise up a generation that does not know the Lord or what he has done for America. Let me leave you with this last thought. You know, my kids were in martial arts growing up. As they progressed in their proficiency, they were given different colored belts. They started out with a white belt, then a yellow, green, purple, brown, and finally a black belt. When they started, they were not very good at all. They learned some martial arts moves, but that did not make them a martial artist. If it came to a real fight, they would have been overwhelmed, not knowing what to do. But as they progressed through each belt, they got better and better until they became real fighters. You know, and through the years, I saw other students come and go who never made it past their white belt. They were just too lazy or uninterested to put in the work. The point here is, if the white belt does not embrace their training, they will never be great martial artists. So to be a black belt requires hard work. There might be days they don't feel like training and they want to give up, but they push on because they have committed to be the very best they can be. So what about you? Are you going to be a white belt Christian all of your life knowing a few Bible verses or on occasion do some kind of charity work? Or are you going to be the very best Christian you can be? If you want to live your life as Christ did, not being served but serving, then embrace your training. Work at being biblically literate. Understand the culture you live in. Know your history and be ready to engage the throttle and do amazing things for God. Don't forget to listen to the final episode of Soul of America Part 4. I will talk about taking practical steps to restore the American soul. If you like this episode, let me encourage you to, to like it. And if you haven't already, follow. Refocus. Reclaim. Rebuild. Rebuild.